Improving health literacy, the ability to understand and act on health information, is key to improving health outcomes and lowering costs. Welcome to the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. For show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Literacy 2.0 and Workforce Health. My name's Seth Serksner. I'm Chief Health Officer at EdLogix, and I'm so pleased today to welcome a guest and kind of a new acquaintance for me, Dr. D. Kinney, who is an assistant professor at Miami University, who is really very focused on this area of health literacy, on health education. So, Dee, thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast. So, as I said, we've just recently got to know each other a little bit. I know a little bit about your background, but maybe for the audience, you could share a little bit of your path and what your role is today. Hi, thanks, Seth, so much for having me here today. I started as a registered dietitian and worked in the area of weight management and disordered eating and working with clients for as long as I did in health clubs and those areas, health and wellness, I dealt with people that had a lot of misunderstanding surrounding nutrition, how to read the food label, what's most important in a diet, and they're very narrowly focused. And then I realized that a lot of eating and nutrition revolves not just around food, because it's not, I don't want to say this too loudly, but it's not rocket science. An apple is healthier than a piece of cake, but yet we choose the cake more often. And so I started understanding that it had more to do with behavior. It's not what we know, but it's what we do that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And our new health literacy definition includes the idea of how to use information, not just how to find it and identify it. And so I went and I earned my master's in social work to mm-hmm. understand and get the behavioral aspect of change and diet. It's just not enough to know, right? We all struggle with doing And finally, I earned my doctorate in health promotion. So kind of tying together the behavior of social work and the behavioral science of social work and then the science of nutrition and then bringing it together holistically with the doctorate in health promotion. I'll cut to the chase and I'll say that I happily landed at Miami University where I teach nutrition, fundamentals of nutrition, personal health and child health and wellness. And when I first started, I realized the curriculum, the learning goals for these three courses were all very good and expected, right? They're nothing surprised me. The one thing that sort of disappointed me was that had nothing in there about health literacy. There was nothing about how to identify reliable sources of health and nutrition information. And so I would find my first couple of years of teaching, and by the way, not to give away my age, but I started teaching at the University of Cincinnati in 2006. And now I am here at Miami from 2017 until hopefully I retire. So when I realized that my students were using resources that were far from reliable, and in some cases, my opinion professionally were harmful, potentially. And I took it upon myself to add I took a whole week, you know, Seth, I'm sure you realize it could be a whole semester 
on health literacy. But I took a whole week out of the curriculum, out of the semester, first week, in fact, and we discussed the idea of identifying reliable, scientifically sound health information. And that's so important. So this is one thing you and I were just chatting about, right? So without getting political, we know that people can challenge or have strong opinions about what is credible, what is you know reliable information, where did the data come from, why do you say this and that? What's that conversation like with your students and to kind of help them learn or at least have the skills to figure out for themselves what's credible, what's science versus opinions? We'll just put it that way. That's been a tough push. And especially lately, I've been teaching, like you said, since 2006. And I would say the last four or five years has really become more challenging because students, I guess they push back against those with the knowledge, I suppose. They look at it as them instead of, you know, being for. So for the U.S. Dietary Guidelines, there's a lot of pushback. And partly I can understand. I want them to think critically. So I'm not saying go USDA, but I do know that how those dietary guidelines are approved and they are scientifically sound. And more importantly to me, they're realistic. They don't say cut out sugar. They say limit sugar, right? So Mm -hmm. if it's not realistic, it's not going to matter how scientifically sound it is if they can't apply it. But my students, to directly address your question, my students get some of them, not all of them, a handful of them, get like an attitude, Seth. They get like, well, who says? You know, they're pushing back against science and facts. And again, not to get too political, but that's our culture right now in this country is to push back. I like critical thinking and I tell my students, you know what, if there's one thing they take from my classes, personal health or nutrition, if that one thing is how to identify scientifically sound, reliable information, then it's a win for me. Because nutrition science changes all the time. But being able to identify health information is so important. I gotta say, majority of my students do appreciate that and understand it. But I'll still get those students that talk to a trainer, a personal trainer, or read Muscle Fitness Magazine. And if there is a magazine like that, I'm making that up. But if there is one <laughs> like that, then I'm not dissing them or I'm not saying bad things about yeah, them. Yeah. You know, they're just choosing anything and everything. The good news is most of the stuff they choose is not going to kill them. Like if they'll say, Dr. D, what do you think of, you know, this diet of the week? And I'll look and the first thing I'll think is, will it kill you? And most times it won't. And then the second thing is, can you sustain that behavior? And most times the answer to that is no, you know, it's not sustainable. Well, it's so interesting because you are mixing two things, which is the behavioral aspect of all of this. So what do you do with it? Is it sustainable? And with the topic that is probably one of the most confused and most popularized, which is diet and eating and food. And there are many different forces that have hidden agenda in terms of research that comes out about that, given the, you know, agribusiness and big food or whatever you want to call all these places. So it's very interesting to try to help students and, you know, some of the audience, employees and their families sort out what's kind of trend and popular, you know, and what in some of the kind of the logics language we call factor myth, right? And just kind of try to help people understand the limits of their current knowledge and where to get that. What do you say when you're trying to help people understand what's credible information 
versus, again, we'll just call it opinion. What are some of the themes that come out for more credible information? Well, the credible information that I talk to them about is I have them go through websites after websites and analyze them. I have a sheet. I didn't make it up. I found a worksheet to tell them what they should be looking for. Mm. Credentials, citations, right? Even experts need to use citations. Nobody knows everything. So looking for credentials, looking for citations that are also reliable, looking for recency because nutrition science changes so quickly. You know, I also let them know, and this is an important thing, everybody in that room, all 30 of my students and myself will find certain things that are more credible and applicable because you can't separate the two. You're in trouble if you do. So more scientifically credible and applicable to you at any given point. So what worked for me, Seth, 20 years ago, post-cancer is a whole different thing. So those scientifically sound things, while they may be sound, they're not sound for me in my circumstances right now. And so I try to teach them about that and realizing that their buddy they're sitting next to may need something different. And when we talk about opinion, and here's the great, wonderful thing about nutrition science is that where there's an opinion, somebody says protein, like I have a lot of athletes in my courses and where they're like, you know, trying to bulk up and they think they need a ton of protein, you know, I can tell you, they'll probably find a reliable source that will substantiate that fact, like what they see as a fact. Right, right, exactly. Yes. You will find a source that does that and you will find a source that speaks against it. So I started doing these discussion boards and, you know, online classes and in face-to-face, these discussion boards where I no longer have them say what they think about what they think is scientifically sound, but I have them argue both sides. So like, I'll say, I'm going off of protein for a second. And I'll say a vegan diet is the healthiest diet. That's the talking point. I want you to argue for it. And I want you to argue against it and find reliable resources. Right. And so I love this one because, you know, I guess in the science, we call it confirmation bias, right? So people are looking for things that confirm what they want to believe (laughs) and what they heard, right? (laughs) And I really want to believe that chocolate and red wine is good for me. And every time those articles come up, I send them to my friends and we're all, yay, those are the ones. (laughs) And then they're drinking a bottle of wine instead of a glass of wine. (laughs) Yeah. And now this other data that says, you know, any alcohol is probably not great for you is we're all sad. We kind of admit it, but you know, we don't wait for the next article because (laughs) to your point, this kind of confirmation bias and really trying to look at both sides is maybe a really nice exercise for anyone who's trying to sort this out because there are different sides of the argument. And we saw this in COVID. So many people, you know, were arguing, I had somebody really arguing hard for ivermectin and looking for data on that and, you know, kind of making strong arguments. And there are people on YouTube and all the rest that will go on and on. So having those critical thinking skills is so important. Tell me on the, you said you also do kind of a total health and well-being course, a little more broad than nutrition. What is that like? What does that cover? That is similar. Again, my first week, I'm starting with how to find and identify reliable health resources. And, you know, typically in a college course, what you'll see on the assignment description, what was considered a reliable health resource are peer journals, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have them use peer journals because I would say most of the students in my undergrad class, whether it's personal health, this is a level 
100, maybe 200 class, whether it is personal health or nutrition, most of them are not in the field that we're not at that level yet where they need to be in peer, they wouldn't understand peer review journals, some of them, you know, and more often than not, even myself as a professional, I'm not first running to peer review journals, I'm going to the internet, because it's got so much information. And I know, in reality, most of my students that are at this level, at least right now, are using the internet, they're not going to peer review journals, they can barely understand. And this is my So how do you help them sort out, you know, the internet? good from the bad. I'll just be blunt. Well, I have that worksheet and I wish off the top of my head that I knew who did it. It was some university that created a checklist and a scoring to score these websites. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. So the first week of class, here's what we do. The first week of class, whether it's my personal health class or my nutrition class, they have to go through this worksheet for like several different websites some which I assign and some which they choose. Before I present the worksheet, I'll say, tell me your favorite go-to website for nutrition or health information. And they'll write it down. And I'll say, now you're going to evaluate that website. And so we do that repeatedly. Then every single assignment that they have for the rest of the semester, if they have an opinion, which I want them to, but if they have an opinion, they have to cite a reliable resource that supports their opinion. So they get practice doing this for 15 weeks. Right. So I'm thrilled if they know how many calories are in a gram of carbohydrates, but I'm more thrilled for them to know how to identify scientifically sound, reliable resources, like a better tool to have for the rest of their life and how to look it up. So you and I've talked about this concept, you know, obviously this is your background health promotion. Mine is too. So I'd love that. And, you know, the social work degree, I did my MPH, but I did a lot of community work as well. So there's similar backgrounds and, you know, I've really thought about this health literacy in terms of kind of 1.0 or the old school boring. And you can think about it in that nutrition education information, which is so flat and brochures and all the rest to 2.0, which we talk about has a big reliance on, to your point about behavior, gamification and behavioral science and really understanding how people behave using data to personalize and make it relevant. And then ultimately having multimedia. So if you go on the internet, but people go on YouTube as well, right? So YouTube's my source to learn how to fix a sink, fix my car. Mm-hmm. And frankly, when I go for medical I'm things. YouTube right now to learn how to crochet, which is great for stress management. Exactly. Right. So for hobbies, everything. So with those three pillars of kind of gamification and data and multimedia, we talk about this thing called health literacy 2.0 which is really helping people have the skills and confidence to navigate their health journeys, whether it's about food, whether it's about a chronic condition, whether it's well-being. Are you kind of seeing this concept being adopted? Does it kind of resonate in what you're seeing in the literature or how you teach it and think about health literacy moving it forward? Because it's not a sexy topic. Your students aren't like, yay, I'm doing health literacy. Yes. Now, I actually don't even call it health literacy. Okay. They get like this pushback right away, you know, and you think I'm dumb. And like, it just has this, it resonates with them in a way that makes them feel like they don't know what they're doing. And they don't Yeah, low literacy people. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, judgmental. Okay. Exactly. And they get very defensive about that. So in my personal health class, I have started incorporating EdLogix 
gamified because my students love to game. I love to game. Okay. So I've chosen, in addition to focusing on stress management and health literacy, how to identify reliable resources, I also use EdLogix. And part of the class, personal health, is to teach topics that most of the students are interested in, Mm -hmm. in the eight dimensions of wellness. And I used to try to teach, like, I would do a survey or a poll. How many want to know about diabetes? Now with EdLogix, I'm able to kind of have them register. It's free for them, right? Because they are students at Miami University. And I'm able to have them say, complete six modules of the health information that you want to know about. So maybe five of them want to know about diabetes. Five of them want to know about sleep and they can do their own thing. And they've told me they really enjoy the game and it doesn't feel like work. Well, and just as a side note for people who are listening, and you know, this is in a highly commercial podcast, but so EdLogix is a sponsor and EdLogix with Miami University has adopted EdLogix as a tool for them. And that's what Dr. D is talking about using it in the curriculum, which, mm-hmm. you know, we would advocate, of course, you know, young people need to understand how to do this as well as just all of us. So they go through it, they pick a topic. And again, EdLogix is this very gamified platform. Anybody's interested, there's information on LinkedIn and on places we're posting this podcast. And they go through, they play it out, and they feel like they're learning and it's not a big effort. Yes. And I really think they enjoy it. And what I've seen is such a variety of topics that they choose. So they have to show me like on EdLogix, you can complete a GPA, you get a GPA in grade. Yes, you get a pre and post. Yeah. And so I use that as one grade. It's like an assignment grade. And you have to choose six. And you know what? I have to imagine students do not like to be lectured to. And so I could stand up there as a dietitian and lecture on diabetes all day and they'd be sleeping. Right? How yeah. much would they absorb? But yeah. playing this game and like replaying it, because you can redo it until they get the score they want, is more effective in my opinion. And it gives me more time in class to really dig into stress management, which is college students' biggest problem. Mm-hmm. And it gives me more time to create community in the classroom. Again, that sense of belonging is very important. And so part of what I do is focusing on health literacy to get back to that for a minute. I don't call it health literacy. I talk to them about being empowered and learning how to find reliable information that they can apply in their lives in a realistic way So it's reliable information they can apply in their lives in a realistic way. I say this a lot of times. I say, practice curiosity and be critical, right? So don't just sit there and say, oh, they're trying to tell me what to do. But look at the pros and the cons. Look at both sides of it. You know, play with it and practice curiosity. I showed a YouTube video about habits. And one of the things he says is to turn a bad day into good data. And I would say turn a bad diet into good data. So one diet works for this person, but not that person, or one diet works for you, but maybe you're struggling with it. Don't just throw it out the window, but be curious and what's working, what's not, and make your own diet. I tell them that we are a culture of absolutes. So if we want to achieve a certain goal, we want the answer. And in nutrition, in health sciences, there's no one answer that fits everyone. And so I tell them, if somebody's saying to you, I have the answer, I said, turn around and run the other way because they don't, you know, there's no one answer. Yeah. Be careful. Some people who know me know that one of my mantras is let's get to curious. So being curious is for me just such a nice theme. So I love to hear that because when you're curious, 
you're not judgmental. You're just like, oh, that's interesting. I'm curious about that. And, you know, starting sentences off that way and kind of creating environments where people can just be curious is fantastic. I also love this idea of maybe health literacy isn't maybe the way to couch it. Maybe it's health empowerment or something that just lets you feel more in control, you know, because we don't feel in control and, you know, especially around health and diet and all of this stuff, it's just so hard to understand and get a handle on for people. It can be especially scary for folks, even college students have chronic conditions. And when you have a chronic condition and you're out in this world, it's like a jungle of information. It can be scary. So empowering yourself by understanding reliable resources. I feel strongly about when it comes to health literacy and that really we failed people in not empowering them. In the corporate world, we have these advocacy programs and other things that kind of help people navigate and Mm -hmm. maybe kind of translate it a little bit. But we're not doing what you're doing, which is teaching people how to figure out what are the good websites? How do I think about this data? Is it trustworthy or not? Maybe it's great for somebody else, but it's not great for me. All those questions around health literacy that help people become empowered. So I'm going to steal your phrase and we're going to use that. So this has been really interesting, great conversation. Just if there's any couple little nuggets, if we've missed anything that you want to leave the audience with, you know, we've covered a lot of ground, so I really appreciate it. But anything you care to emphasize or cover before we sign off? One of the things besides be curious, Yeah. know that you are your own best expert when you are practicing curiosity and you're looking at both sides of a topic. So if you believe in something, whether it's nutrition or health related, when you believe in something, Try to find something that goes against what your belief is. And just like I said, be curious and recognize that what works for you today may not work for you 10 years from now. Yeah, those are great themes, you know, and it is situational and it is temporal and the science changes. I think that was what was really hard for people during COVID is, look, this is the science as we know it today. When we get more data, it may change. No one's lying to you. No one's trying to fake you out. I love the part that there's no absolutes and stay curious. Well, Dee, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun and great getting to hear your points of view and what you're doing with your students. So thank you for that. Everyone, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it and take care. Thanks for joining us today on the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix, where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. Remember, for show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe and share the show with your colleagues. Thanks and see you soon.